Welcome to Stand Up Memories. This is the show. You guys don't even need me. You're doing fine on your own. (laughs) Yes, we have a guest, by the way. I'm Peter Bales. You were Jackie Martin. And I'm going to shut up. Take and now, you're, yeah. like, you're like the two Muppets, those old guys in the, in the, the <laughs> Do you know what, Vic? You're the first person that made that observation. <laughs> Today. Now, listen. <laughs> listen. We have Vic DiBattato here, one of the top stand-up comedians who's had a wonderful career, very funny, and we've had the, the privilege to kind of grow up together almost. Yes. We started out in comedy around the same time. We've had the hell gigs together, right? And I would like to talk about one. Well, first of all, it's all about me and Jackie. So don't think you're (laughs) going to be able to talk on the show. No, please talk about a hell gig that we had back in the day. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you one name and I'm going to see if you remember this. You ready? Yes. Larry Ragland. (laughs) I think I know the story. I saw her. Face in the window, she was so ugly, and it was you, right? Is that that's, I, that's Larry Ragland. Go ahead. Can I tell the story? Yeah. Sure. Okay, this had to be back in the mid '80s, right? Yeah. I think he's yes. been gone a long time. Yeah, and back then, when you had a gig with Joey Novick or uh, Phil Selman or what's the other guy? Uh, uh, Jim Balazzo. Jim Balazzo's. Roger Paul. Yeah. If you had a car, I would like, I would say, you want me to send you an eight by 10 on my car or, or me? So if you had a car, the tradition was if you lived in New Jersey or Brooklyn or Staten Island, you had to pick up the comic in Manhattan and shoot to the hell gig. Now, this particular one was Connecticut. It was me, Larry Raglan, and Pete on the bill. <laughs> you? So I had my brother-in-law. I had a small car at the time. It was a Honda Civic. My brother-in-law came along for the ride, so he sat in the front. When I went to pick up Larry Raglan, I, he had to get in the back. Right away, he had an attitude because he had to get in the back. He had plenty of room. I told my brother-in-law, move the seat all the way up. Right away, he's fidgeting. He's looking out the window. Everything, every time we put on the radio, he said, Could, can you lower that? He was being a pain in the ass, and I knew this wasn't going to go well. So we get on 95. I'm not sure I ever heard him say anything that wasn't a complaint. Uh, there you go. So now, so now you know it's not me when you hear the rest of the story. A little bit, yeah. So we're on 95 North. I whip out a joint. I like the joint. He says, Vic, if you're, if you're going to continue to like that joint and smoke it, you can let me out of the car. No problem, Larry. I pulled over on 95 in the middle of it. Was, there was no exit near about. I said, get out because I'm going to smoke the joint. He got out of the car. I pulled away and I looked in the rearview mirror. I see him getting smaller and smaller. I get to the gig. Pete's like, where's Larry Raglan? And I <laughs> the whole situation. So me and Pete did did his time and they we split his money. Fuck him. <laughs> is that a joke? You never told that's, me that. That's a true story. You know the joke about Larry Raglan? Is, is he still standing there? Yeah. <laughs> when you drive to yeah, a Yeah, six feet under. When you drive to a gig with Larry Raglan, he's going to get in the car and he's going to say one sentence the entire night. Does this place have food? <laughs> and that's it. It's a oh, shame. He's on stage. Guy. He was great on stage. It's a he shame. He was a terrific, terrific impressionist. Ed Sullivan, Johnny Mathis. That's oh. Some of the impressions he did. Oh. You once told me a story uh, about how your family had a garbage territory. And 
there was a movie in your family's territory. And Vic, I know, remember the sentence you said to me really intensely. You said, when you see that movie and you see that garbage, remember that's my God. <laughs> that's my God. You got to fill in the blanks there. And I know the movie. It was uh, Moscow on the Hudson <laughs> with Robin Williams. It was on 14th Street. And that was my garbage in the scene. Very territorial, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you used that word because that's what it was. It was for the, you know, private sanitation and, you know, how to work with, <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha. with these guys. Gotcha. You know, I, that's how I, how do you think I got into danger fields? I told Tony Babakwa, if I pick your garbage, can you give me stage time? That's how I got into Dangerfield, by picking up his garbage. Oh, they I have that. heard them all, and that is a new one. That yes. I'll get you a date with my sister. I'll get your kid into college, but I'll pick <laughs> up your garbage is a beauty. As I'm pulling away after my set, I'm honking the horn. The audience is waving at me through the window. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's so cool. Because my route, my route was Midtown Manhattan. You know, you know that Tony is still alive. Still yeah, alive. he's like 90 something years old. Like 91. Well, James tried to buy it, but th that didn't work out. Yeah, Governors was going to buy it, but it didn't work out. Yeah. So I, I, with everything that went on at Dangerfields, I still remember the place favorably. Really nice times Pete, there. Pete, I got a VHS tape of me, you, and Danny Curtis in the green room in Dangerfield. I got to dig it up. I got to dig it up somewhere. I hope I was behaving okay. Oh, uh, you were great. Here's another <laughs> name for you. Here's another name. Alan Bursky. Alan Bursky. Wow. <laughs> he was oh, weighing way he was weighing coke on a little scale in the green room. I said, I'm getting the fuck out of here. I don't want to get involved with this shit. <laughs> he was a psychopath. <laughs> those were the day. I remember those days. I have a story that I've told so many times, but you gotta hear this. There was it was when I was fooling around with Rodney and, you know, going back and forth with jokes, he called me up and said, tell me if this is too strong. Tell me if it's too strong. I get no respect. I got a parrot that calls me Jew bastard. So I said, well, I don't know if it's too strong, but that's the funniest thing. So I told that joke forever. And I told that story at the Friars Club to a bunch of guys at lunch. And Dick Capri leaned over from the next table and said, it did make it into Rodney's act because I didn't know if it made it into his act. He said, not only did it make it into his act, but that was his signal joke. So if he was on stage at Dangerfields and he did that joke, <laughs> if you were in the green room getting a blow job, that meant pull up your pants because I'm almost done. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was a little speaker in the room, you know? Um, yes. <laughs> That's when they called you and you had the dumb waiter to bring down your, your turkey sandwich. Oh my God. <laughs> Those oh, were the days, God. man. Those oh, days were gone. You know, I did, a, I did a gig a couple of months ago with these young comics. I don't even remember his name. And Johnny Carson came up in a conversation. And he goes to me, who's Johnny Carson? Oh. I, I got to get out of here. I got to go to the bathroom. You I know what? Oh. We're almost at the point to where they're going to say, who's Jay Leno? I'm telling you. My time is yeah. raging past, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's we're doing this so long. I'm doing this 40 years. 40 but years. But you've been doing this. You are still you. You haven't changed. You don't compromise. You are the uh, Italian-American comedian, and you evoke that entire world. Is that I think Sebastian holds that title. Well, what, then what is your title? The donkey of comedy. <laughs> the donkey the Lou, of the comedy. Lou Gehrig of comedy. 
he's spaghetti, your lasagna, you know, whatever. You no, know, there's different levels of success. You got the Maniscalcos and the Burrs, and and I'm happy. You know, look, I, I'm not on the garbage truck no more. After the garbage truck, I drove a dump truck, a cement truck, a school bus for 13 years in Staten Island. I transported the future criminals of Staten Island. And it all, in 2013 is when it all came to, it was like the perfect storm. I got the viral video, Bread and Milk. Kevin James calls me out of nowhere, puts me in a movie. And I signed with a great manager and, and the, it was going like this. The pandemic hit, it leveled off, but I survived and I really can't complain. I'm, I got a loyal following. Vic, Vic <laughs> I work with a lot of young comedians. I have a comedy school and they ask me- Oh my God. I'm not plugging it again. We made it 10 minutes before you plugged your stupid college. A lot of young comedians ask, how can social media help someone who's becoming a comedian? You are the person most- And you know what Peter says? What's social media? <laughs> All right. I used to be on MySpace up until last month. Look, you are the most qualified probably to answer that question. And a lot of young comedians watch this podcast. Bread and milk. What did that do to your career? It probably came, it came before Kevin James, right? Yes. See, everybody thinks that's what put me on the map. It didn't. I've been doing these videos since 2009. Bread and Milk was the one that happened to go viral. I got a, a bunch of other viral videos. When the pandemic came out, I did one called Message to the Government, where I ripped them a new asshole about the, that $1,200 stimulus. That hit like 40, yeah. 34 million just on Facebook alone. That's not including uh, Instagram and, and, and YouTube. But boy, but I would but tell the young major, those major videos you did they're pre TikTok, right? They were all Facebook. Yes, pre TikTok. I just started TikTok recently. TikTok is is it's like a chess game. Facebook wants something different than YouTube. YouTube wants something different than Instagram. It's not if they're messing with the algorithms and you're trying to keep me. up. You know, it's unbelievable. You know, not just me. They're cutting everybody's algorithms, and I was getting hundreds of when I first started doing this. Now it's like almost a third, and you know, I'm, and I'm working even harder to come up with different content every day. But I would tell the young comics, just keep doing it. Same time, just keep doing it. Don't give up. You got to, you, your fans will get used to what time you're posting and it's got to be right. funny. And, and you don't have any short. idea what's going to hit. You don't know what's going to hit. It's a roll of the dice. I almost, I almost deleted Bread and Milk. I thought it was stupid. That was 26 seconds. It went viral. Tell because everybody was, what bread and milk was. Yeah, explain that. Explain bread and milk and then how it changed your career. It's, uh, you know, when it snows in the Northeast, people see yeah. a snowflake, they panic. They got to get the bread and milk. So my wife didn't want to cook that night. I went out to get something. I saw a snowflake and it just came to my head. I whipped out the cam, the phone, and I said, I imitated it. Oh, here we go. I got to get the bread and milk. I got to, I'm walking from my car, from my house to the car. I'm in the car. Oh my God, they said snow. 26 seconds got me more recognition than at that time was 30 years of stand-up. It hit a nerve because it was during a snowstorm and it hit a nerve. It went viral overnight. It was crazy. It hit like the same nerve as like Rodney Dangerfield's wife jokes and Henny Youngman's wife. It just, it was so, you could adhere to it whether you were <laughs> married or had a girlfriend or it, it just your mother freaking out that, you know, it, it, but, it's going to snow, you know? The beauty of this one, it comes back every winter. It's like Christmas carols. It comes back every winter. Right. It's amazing. And it bumped up your level of pay and your level of gigs. 
Mainstream, yes. media, mainstream media picked up on it too. Oh, the, the news. I was on all the news. The, the Weather Channel played it. It was crazy. It was on every I, news. I got to ask you, did you ever toy with making Bread and Milk into a film? Because there really is a film there. No, you guys, no, I never, you know. All right, I'm going to go home and write it and I'll text you. Go ahead. 26 seconds. Call Russell. Talk to Russell. Talk to I his manager. Up. If I had a, a if I had a penny for every project that went nowhere in this business, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> you know, yeah. when I first got off the Stern show, people interview me and say, what are you doing? And I would say, well, now I'm doing independent movies and I'm going to keep doing independent movies until one of the ones I did gets finished. <laughs> there you go. You know. But Vic, you are a highly respected comedian. Not by me. Well, by most people. Don't by kid yourself. I got my haters too. Don't kid yourself. We all have haters. I know, but you do take a moment to enjoy your success, right? Absolutely. I mean, oh, good, good. I, I want to hear that. Are you kidding me? Pete. When my manager sat me and my wife down, because my wife worked on the school bus, with, she was the matron because we had special ed kids and you need a matron to watch the kids because I had to drive the bus. We both we, we both resigned from the pool, the pool company after 13 years. We went to bed that night and said, what the fuck did we just do? You got to sacrifice. And, and there on in, it's been, you know, I'm, I'm booking the 2025 now. I got theaters and it's just... Look, as long as the people keep coming out, I keep selling tickets, I'll keep doing. I still enjoy being on stage. Of course. Of course. See, that, that level, I mean, I'm looking at next month going, he's booked till 2025. And, uh, but Vic, I always say this on the show, I've said it before, when comedians to get together, whether it's a diner or even a podcast like this, we know most nights are so much fun and the shows are so terrific, but we tend to remember when comedians are together, the nightmares, the times things went raw, yeah. you know, because we can let, at the time, they're painful. Now you can look back and laugh at them. Do you know, one thing, looking back, and I don't know whether it's just my memory, but I we, there was so many hell gigs and so much horror, but I don't remember many times being in the car with two, three, four other comics where one of them was a total idiot or a moron that you, it, it seems like everybody made the grade, you know. Except for Larry Raglan, where you paying was, attention. He's still, he's still <laughs> and, standing and, at 95. Uh, Peter, what's his name? Peter Bales. No, no. <laughs> he set me up for that. No, Peter no. Pete Fogel. Pete Fogel. <laughs> is that true, that story about him on the cruise ship, or is that it, just... You know what? It is, I, I repeat it. I don't, I don't ever want to know if it's true. It has to be true. It's too good not to be true. It's a great tell, story. Tell people quickly what happened. Okay, he's on it. Maybe I correct me if I'm wrong. He's it was around that time with that the, that Jewish guy in the wheelchair. Leon Klinghoffer. So he's on stage and he asked the waitress, "Can you get me a, a ling on Klinghoffer?" And she says, "What is that?" And he says, two shots and a splash." <laughs> the next day, a helicopter comes and takes him off the ship. And this is at the time where it had happened like days before. Right. This is a cruise ship, folks, and uh, you, when they tell you not to do a joke about something that's controversial, they mean it. Well, I did a cruise ship once, never again. I did a joke about the captain. The oh. captain never goes to the show. Out of all the shows, of all the nights, that one night I do that one joke, he's in the audience. Oh. <laughs> it was during, remember the Exxon Valdez? Yeah, yeah. Because sure. we had to reroute, because it was a hurricane. I said, relax, folks, the captain of the ship 
is from the Exxon Valdez. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that was the end that's of that. Funny. I, don't, I don't like cruises anyway. You, you're with your audience all week. I don't need that. Now, you're an Italian-American yourself. Have you ever had... Well, you have the audiences love you. A lot of Italian-Americans, but a lot of everybody loves you. But have you ever had a real New York City Italian-American crowd that was too much even for you? No, not really. My The worst... You know what it is? Now I'm at the point where I'm getting heckled by my own material. People are yelling out bits in my act now. They're yelling out videos. And it's weird because it throws me off, but yet they're not being malicious. Right, they're being complimentary, but right. they're screwing you up. The worst, one of the worst gigs, remember the, the, the uh, what do they call those things in Jersey? The, uh, we have the little meats on the bread. Kebab, steak kebabs? What kebab steak, it's a thing, it's a tradition in Jersey where they serve these little meats. Bobby Gonzo was notorious for these gigs. Oh, oh the, the, the steak, where the guys eat the steak with their hands and... Right, they save the bread so they have more room in their stomach and they build a, 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 a structure, whoever oh, wins. Oh, right, a mountain of the little a beef piece steak, of A beef bread. steak, a beef steak. Gotcha. Anyway, it's 300 drunken firemen. I'm on stage. They're throwing the fucking meat at me and the, and the, and the little bread. So it was like a cartoon. I caught two pieces of bread and some meat. I made a sandwich and I was eating it as I did my stand-up. <laughs> and they won bananas. I had them like this. <laughs> some of those things you're going in, you're looking at, this will be the worst thing ever. And I wind up selling out all my books and big hugs. Amazing. But when you first go up there, they're staring at you like, like you're the fire. Yep. <laughs> you know, like Here's a story. I'll give you two names. Bob Woods and Otto and George. Bob Woods, uh, a terrific Long Island comedian, very heavy, famous for doing Ralph Cramden, the late Bob Woods. We love him. And Otto and George, the legendary ventriloquist uh, who uh, broke all barriers. I got Otto and, and, and George. Otto's in the front. Uh, no, uh, Woods is in the front. I'm in a Honda Civic. And you know Woods. His knees are hitting the windshield. That's how big he was. Otto's in the back. I'm doing the speed limit. Otto is a nervous wreck. He's doing coke since the beginning of the ride. And he's turning around and he goes, boy, Vic, there seems to be a lot of driving involved. And Woods, without a beat, turns to me and goes with that classic line, aren't you the master of observation, wolf boy? <laughs> and he was just, he was just breaking his balls. Otto was a wreck. It was just. Just one of many stories. My God. <laughs> I'm so glad I, like the 80s, that was like, you know, like Jackie mentioned before, that was like right after the Lenos and the Letterman's. Then it, it was us. And I started at Pips Comedy Club. It was I was going to bring up Pips. What are your memories of Pips? It, it Pips was where the mobsters met the lobsters. It was, yeah. it was, the lineup was Dice, John Marooney, Richard Jenny, me. I was the rookie, you know, and I, and I learned from those guys. John Marooney was my mentor. And eventually, he's the one that broke me into Long Island. And that's when you used to book governors, Jackie. And, right. And John got me into governors. And that's, it was just a beautiful, it was a nice story. I, I, I came along at the right time. You know, yeah, it's I, I just wish somebody could make a TV show or a movie that somehow could catch the, the, the feeling and the, just what it was like in the car on the way to a gig. You cannot recapture that no it was magic 
And I it think was, we knew it at the time, you know. It was a I different. Mean, could you imagine some of these guys? Wouldn't you? I would pay to see Otto and George deal with this cancer coastal bullshit. You know, it was just and George Collin and all these guys with today's society, how fucked up it is. It's a different world. Pluck them from there and put them in today and see what happens. I got to say to the audience, Vic DiBetetto is real. This is him. That's really him? It's No, but I mean, his, his, (laughs) what he is now is what he is on stage is what he is off stage. I mean, you're a real guy and I'm trying to be as clear as I can. You're a real, I love you, man. I hope we can have Vic on again. I this, so. this time went super fast. We barely scratched the surface. Wow, that was wow. We sounded like we just did you enjoy feels, yourself with us? us? What's that? Did you enjoy yourself with us? Absolutely. I, I, it felt like five minutes. It felt I know. Like, right? It felt like five minutes. And that's the yardstick when it goes that quick. So we'll do this again for but, sure. Yeah, but I want to add one thing before we end, Vic. You should feel good that they call out your bits because that means they know your bits. Yes. During my act, you know what they call out? Not <laughs> this again. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Actually, no, they call out Freebird, which is which is annoying. I'm sorry. You know, no, you might. I'll, I do the setups on this show. He does the punchlines. You guys got a nice chemistry. This has got a good chemistry here. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Rick, we love you. We're, we want, well, we definitely want to have you back for some old stories. Absolutely. And, you know, this show, Stand Up Memories, is exactly what you're sharing with us uh, today. We love it. Vic DiVitetto, thank you for coming on. Thank Thanks you for the memories. All right. <laughs>